0: DHL Express is focused only on one very specific niche. So we are operating basically nearly all countries in the world. If you want to have something quick and fast from one country to another country, then you would ask DHL Express to help you with that. Digitalization or IT and data is a huge enabler in our business and needs to be mastered with perfection like we master our logistic process. I'm I'm truly believing in that coaching idea, truly believe that leadership per se, not only in IT, should strive that we uh, maximize everybody's potential in the organization.
1: This is Sionet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Dirk Olofs, who is the EVP and CIO of DHL Express. A very warm welcome, Dirk. Thank you, Hendrik, and welcome in our facilities here. Dirk, you have a, a degree in economics from the University in Cologne, not Correct. far from where we are here in Bonn. Uh, And during your studies, you uh, started your own software company. And then after your studies, you joined DHL in 1997, where you are still uh, here today. So, Dirk, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What is your background, really, and how did you arrive in this position? (coughs) Well, um, maybe two
0: things in my life. Uh, I started very early to be interested in technology. Mm Uh, in my age, people will remember the Commodore c 64 and all of that stuff. So that's where I've been grown up. And as people remember, there were the utilization of these things were quite in an early stage. But also, my interest was in there to start programming and got into controlling the machine and learn all the basic um, programming languages. That's how I got into that. And I found it super interesting, fascinating, still fascinating by the power of technology Mm -hmm. uh, many, many years later. But that's how I got interested into the topic. So um, then the study started and I started economics. And while I continued to develop software, in a very special niche um, with a couple of of other guys. Today, you would say it's a startup in those days that didn't exist really. But it was really fun, and it was not only programming the software, it was also how to organize the customer service around that. What about returns? What about complaints? What about interactions of customers overall? What made me interested into the wider space? So that was the development doing the studies, and at the end, there was a decision point to say, well... Are we not really expanding it or what? And we're still young and naive and all of that. So decided to do something else. Then I joined DHL for originally for two or three years. <laughs> and 26 years later, I'm still around. I okay. never missed any day in these 26 years.
1: So Derek, DHL is a I mean, it's a household name. It's a big, big brand. Tell me a little bit the big picture of DHL and then DHL Express, your business. Can you give us some numbers and some ideas what it is that the company does?
0: Yeah. So we are part of the DHL group, um, what is based here in Bonn in Germany. Um, The DHL group has a couple of businesses operating under DHL. There's the supply chain business, the global freight forwarding business, and the freight business, the express business, what I'm coming to in a minute and also the post and parcel business in Germany yep. uh, mainly. So this is really the core business we have. Uh, the group is employing roughly 600,000 people. Jesus. There's <laughs> a big employer uh, and, um, and, and I think one of the biggest here in Germany. So um, Express is focused only on one very specific niche. So we are operating basically in nearly all countries in the world. Um, and we are specialized to, on one specific product that is a time-definite international product, meaning if you want to have something quick and fast from one country to another country, then you would ask DHL Express to help you with that. And it includes customs. We, um, you see that beautiful um, plane in the in the back where we'll maybe talk about it in a moment as well about it, but mainly our... Um, uh, product offering is to fly these yep. things with the yellow planes you maybe have seen on some of the airports in the world. Yep. So that's really what we do. We have 110,000 employees, uh, as I said, operating in basically all countries in the world. Um, yeah, So that's the basic yeah.
1: for our business. So more than 110,000 people how many planes, trucks, delivery units do you have? Give us some numbers there.
0: I'm um, just talking about the planes. So it's, it's, a, it's a virtual airline conducting of um, many airlines mm-hmm. uh, where we're operating with our owning, actually, and it's around 300 planes that operate for DHL Express.
1: So 300 airplanes, that makes you one of the largest cargo airlines then?
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Good. So B2B was the origin of DHL Express and now uh, moving into B2C a lot as well. The uh, COVID has a big impact and change in in the business. So, I mean, you're uh, like many, many organizations, you are undergoing a lot of change. So can you tell us, in your view today, what is the main challenges, the main transformations uh, that the business is undergoing?
0: Yeah, I think um, there are multiple um, challenges that call it that way. In our industry that um, benefited through additional volumes through Corona, because a lot of people ordered online and the shops were closed and all of that, uh, we saw a huge spike in more volume going through DHL Express, like with everyone in the industry. This is now in a normalization. So um, people um, going back to old shopping behaviors and all of that. So we are in a phase of normalization after corona Mm -hmm. Um, and that means a couple of challenges in DHL but also towards the customers and just taking about the two examples in DHL during corona you know you had basically in a logistics network daily changes there were airports closed there were borders closed there were a lot of things closed so if you want to really run efficiently globally a network of planes, trucks, delivery units, etc. we had to face daily changes on that planning. So it was, I would say, quite chaotic. And it was a huge um, achievement that we were able to hold all our SLAs towards our customers, yeah. but the challenge was really these changes in planning. Likewise, everyone who was not working In the front line like our great delivery drivers for example delivering shipments and picking up shipments everyone in the back office was working from home so there was another huge transformational shift that we never had before and never seen before so these were really the corona challenges and we are now on the way on to um to normalize those in our organization with customers as we support customers with their supply chain you see similar things Um, Still, a lot of challenges here and there. You heard about the chip crisis, uh, basically, the last two, three years. A couple of our customers were impacted. Well, this has an impact on how global supply chains are organized and how we help our customers to overcome these with very specific solutions. So we are in that way to normalize our own world, but we're helping our customers as well to find better solution in a challenging environment.
1: Yeah. So you're coming out of a, of a couple of years of amazing changes, corona uh, ch- uh, crisis, logistics crisis, and so on, getting back into uh, a more normal uh, world, let's say. So where is where do you see the, 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 next, the next waves of change, the next things that you as a business are focusing on? Is, is it Becoming even more customer focused—is it—is it that uh, customer experience is that still need to inc- uh, to to get better and better?
0: Well, that's an ongoing theme in our world as well. We call it. We uh, have sometimes some funny names in DHL Express, but just to explain how what we do, we call it. We introduce an insanely customer centric culture, ICCC, <laughs> and what we mean with that is we put the customer in the middle of everything and actually adding our own employees next to that because we're in the service industry. And everything around the customer needs, this is where we really focus on, not only during corona, but over many, many years. And that's the excellence simply delivered in DHL is something that we are really, really proud of. And there are multiple examples on where we are driving that level further up. Right now, we, um, get f- we're we deploying a solution that gives us even more real-time insights about customer interactions, how happy are customers with our service, there's something that we need to improve and all of that. And that gives us even further opportunities to drive our service forward. Mm -hmm. For as an example, our customer service um, is um, awarded with hundreds of awards every year, not in our industry, but across the industries because it's perceived as one of the best customer service organizations in the world. And that means you can judge on your own experience. On average, um, a call has been answered in 90, 90% of the cases within 10 seconds. And you have sent someone to speak to, someone can help you, someone can fix your problem with a shipment delivery. And I think these are just examples around that, yep. that really talks about excellent service delivery.
1: So that's really the core strategy of DHL, to be a premium brand, to have a premium service, and to have an, an, a very, an insanely good customer service. It's, it's, it's a nice way to, uh, uh, to put that. So that means that the business is constantly changing, right? So, but if we have a look at it from a little bit of diff, uh, distance, would you agree that DHL Express is, is in fact both a very advanced logistics company, but also then at the same time a very very digital company and it's these core these two core functions, if they are in synchronicity that then you can deliver the right service
0: well that's absolutely how I would describe it the enablement through digitalization not only internally but also towards the customer who gives us not only the shipment but also lots of data he wants He or she wants to have information back about the status of the shipment. Sometimes documents are missing, all of that. I mean, the integration of that is not only the logistics process. It is all the digitalization that comes on top on various levels, down to authorities and customs authorities where we clear these shipments that needs to work absolutely seamlessly end-to-end. So I 100% agree Digitalization or IT and data is a huge enabler in our business and needs to be mastered with perfection like we master our logistics process.
1: Can we maybe zoom down a little bit on the, uh, on, 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 on the IT systems? I mean, what is the main changes that you are putting in place for the, the IT platforms and so on to be able to have that flexibility and that, and that customer service? And then as a second thing, I would love to drill down a little bit more into the data aspect. So sure. let's talk about the, 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 the application landscape first. Where are you there? What kind of changes are you, uh, are you working on?
0: Well, I just want to start a bit more, give you the context of the past, because okay. I think it's quite important to understand the, um, the actual situation. We've went through a process over the last 10 years where we converged and consolidated thousands of systems Mm -hmm. to, let's say, 250-ish central global system. We call it EGAP, Express Global Application Portfolio. It's the core application landscape that supports DHL Express in any country in the world. So... um, and why is that? And why is it so relevant? Well, one thing is the technology and the cost, and you know being up to speed and all of that, and focusing on some core systems. But ultimately linking it back to the customer-centric culture, our customers expect the same service in every country in the world. And IT, data, the interactions on the screens, etc., is a huge enabler. So if you ship something from Shanghai to Barcelona, or from Australia to New York, the customer interaction, the customer journeys, the opportunities is more or less exactly the same. And the platform behind enables that all. So that gives you a bit of context. In the past, we had a lot of bespoke, legacy stuff, et cetera. Country, as by, country, country yeah. by country. by yep. country. That's how we evolved. But um, we are now basically finished that journey a couple of years back. So now we have in a, in a perfect situation to invest very Um, focused on innovations that we really want to bring in Mm -hmm. and then bringing in for everyone. So we build it, um, standard systems, and then the next year is, is then deployment, deployment, deployment to hundreds of countries and supporting basically 50 languages that are supported, something like that. It's a huge undertaking, but if you see that context, that's really where we are now. And we're taking investments basically in all areas of our business. So, we're enhancing the logistics supported systems, um, bringing new features and how you exchange data, giving more customer oriented services, where exactly is the parcel, giving uh, options to reroute shipments and all of that. But also on customer service, on sales, on billing, on other areas, we're doing a lot of upfront investments as well. So there's a lot going on in our portfolio.
1: You're on this big big project to standardize uh, your 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 applications, your your user interfaces, your experience for the clients and therefore standardize on the 250 core uh, core applications. How far are you in that journey? Are you almost at the end of this this is done already? Because that's crucial for that's I can true. imagine to to have a future-proof international business, that's, that, that uh, state-of-the-art platform is crucial, right?
0: I would say it is over ninety percent done, okay. and um, we have still some domains where we are still introducing uh, some core functionality um, that started a bit later. But the core business is all done and completed, and we actually in the version, the next version is already on the basis of that. Mm-hmm. core systems so yeah so we are we are in a good shape i would okay. say
1: Okay, so you can almost retire then <laughs> oh well there's still a lot to do right I mean, yeah. <laughs> so platform-wise system-wise great standardization that has happened Let's talk about the data, because, I mean, you, you are a very, very data-rich company, I can imagine. So how far are you in, in that data roadmap to, uh, to become more and more data-driven and get also more and more value out of the data that you
0: have? Yeah. I think there, there are multiple answers to that question, and I think the answers are not always in the same direction. So getting value out of data is one photo string. We invested many, many years back, I think one of the first in our industry, into a big data warehouse that has evolved and now converting now more into a data lake and all of these type of things. So we're bringing all of that in, getting the so-called single tr- source of truth, but having much more opportunities for machine learning and AI and all of that. So And this is already built in and brought back into the core platform. A good example for that is Routing of a shipment, right? So, what is a very likely route that a shipment travels from Shanghai to Barcelona? Is it that way, that way, that way? And the machine is learning out of historical data, right? So, um, because depending on the date, depending on the year, on the month, etc., it may have different routes. Yep. So, it helps us with resource planning. It helps us with other things, and actually, all is done in real time. So, just one practical example where you can create a lot of value out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are maybe other areas on the customer side as well where we create really a lot of value through providing customers solutions based on their data. A good example is what is a quite complicated one, but very important internationally. You need to declare to customs authority the content of your shipment with a so-called HS code. And this is a description of that is I don't know. I advise everyone to have a look at that. <laughs> it is so complicated because, you know, the customs authorities of each country describe it differently and they put taxation on it differently as well, meaning um, you want to ship a shoe, then you have a subcategory leather shoe, red leather shoe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a very complicated tree where many customers are confused what is the right one to use. And we have solutions that help the customers, like Google search, to help them to fill out that information. It's also another nice way to explain how to use data and our experience with that. That's one thought, value. The other big thing is, as you said earlier, the digitalization is enabled through data at the end of the day. So the exchange with the sending customer, with the customer's organization in the middle and to the receiving side on various processes, not only the pickup and delivery, but problem to resolution. What do we know if a shipment goes wrong and the customer calls in, where is it? It's driven by data and a process behind what about billing? What about other things uh, that are absolutely data-driven? So I believe you made a good journey towards that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're doing it in a quite standardized, consistent way. The third answer is all the new legislation on data privacy, what is now becoming more and more a global topic. It started a bit as a European topic mm-hmm. many years back. We took our learnings, we handled our employees and our customers and our vendors' data very, very carefully. But that's a request that's coming now from many, many more countries and markets from the world. So, yes, all of these areas, mm-hmm. I think, is a good answer to that question on data.
1: Okay, and data sovereignty, is that a big thing in, in your organization, making sure that the right data is in the right place and so on, or...?
0: Well, I think that's a challenge everywhere. We, uh, I, I believe it is something what we, not, what we call more data quality challenges. Do we have the right data with the right content at the right time? What are the things we can do from a system point of view, but from the ownership point of view? Yes, that's an ongoing thing that f- falls under the umbrella of yeah. data quality. Okay.
1: Now, Dirk, let's talk a little bit about your uh, IT organization. So 110,000 people in, in total Many people flying around, driving around, picking up, <laughs> delivering uh, packages. So how about IT? How, how big is IT and, and what's your IT operating model today?
0: Yes, yeah, so IT, <coughs> IT is organized on global, regional and country level. Um, so we have to support the global application portfolio. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a global IT group um, that is uh, basically designing and developing these systems, either with internal resources or with vendors together. So that's one piece of it. Um, The second piece is then in the regions and in the countries, we have support structures that are working actually with the users because not all users are in the center. They are around the world and the same with the customers. So we have customer-facing IT teams around the world, helping the customers if they have a problem with any of our tools. And the same is for internal support as well. That's one element. Then we have from the DHL group, an organization called IT Services, what is a group service. And they operate uh, the data centers that we're in. And we take a huge portion with that. And they also provide some group solutions, but also some development support for us and all that's basically our, our organization around okay. that.
1: So quite centrally organized for yes. the application landscape, and then for the supporting the, the, is, is organized by region and by, by countries. Based and on then, standards, yeah. Based on standards and architecture and so on, and then with the support from DHL group for infrastructure, data centers, cloud, I can imagine. Correct. Uh, and, and, and so on. So where are you in, in in your organization I mean you're responsible for the whole uh, for the whole uh, group uh, where are you in your let's say uh, change of becoming more agile uh, in, in in your development because developing the systems and running and managing the systems is very important where are you in in, in, in on that road
0: we are we are just in the process to introduce the product management view into the organization what comes along with DevSecOps. We we call it not DevOps, we call it DevSecOps where we want to bring security by design into the cycles and not having it as an afterthought. So, that's something that we are now introducing. We're doing it carefully because projects are, people are busy with ongoing projects. We uh, have created um, a coaching um, and an upskilling program around that uh, where we help people to understand the fundamentals what are not so difficult but then having them helping them to introduce their own ways how to implement it with uh, their business colleagues and with potential vendors and the solutions may vary a bit bit by bit but they're all following the same framework and it's a bit like coaching, helping your colleague. We're quite a collegial organization and helping that um, everything works in the right direction.
1: Okay, So you're moving from a more project correct organization to a product organization, like many, or many IT organizations around the world, of course, but that's not an easy thing, right? It has it a lot to do with culture?
0: Yes, it has to do a lot with culture. Um, and it has a lot to do um, with things like being open for new changes and open for upskilling, reskilling and reinventing from mm-hmm. the vi- within, in my view. Culture is a, such a broad word. I, I believe it is easier if it's falling on areas that are quite good in DHL, like teamwork, being open for innovation, innovative approaches and trust to the organization and your colleagues. So. It's it's not really that we need to impose a lot. It is something where it falls under the culture that we want to help to get to the next level. And people who go on the journey, I know it's a transformation challenge because everything what is unknown is always, mm, I don't know what to do, but we're doing it in good steps and we're helping people to be successful with the new thing. And we also believe that... Um, helping means if something goes wrong then we're not looking for someone who made something wrong we take our lessons learned and improve Mm -hmm. from there so it's a bit like that in that framework people appreciate that the young generation is absolutely expecting that to happen because in their learning for units and everything else this is a standard so we're transforming the organization uh, shortly uh, into that new model.
1: So, Dirk, let's talk a little bit more about uh, infrastructure connectivity. I mean, you have a very, very uh, international organization. You're active in most countries around the world. So, let's talk about maybe first your cloud journey. Uh, where are you, where, what is your end goal and, and, and how far are you on, uh, on the road to the cloud, let's say?
0: Yes, I, I think... Um, we've made good progress on our cloud journey um, but we are not fully there yet so we have our own data centers so we have established with it service a fantastic work relationship with our own data centers the people know inside out our systems they know the processes they know the criticality they know how important the system is not only for us but for our customers ultimately so we have established a great collaboration with them so we want to use the cloud where it really makes more sense for us so it needs to really prove a couple of things either much more cost efficient much more scalable up and down for cases where we need that yep. much more resilient etc cetera, et cetera. another f- of criteria that we go through so we're not going blindly into that journey but very selectively so SaaS is a solution that is on the cloud, as we all know. So that's one thing. But we are now taking good steps to understand exactly on the framework I just talking about. Yeah. What are the elements you bring in? Some of them comes with re-architecture of the solutions. Lift and shift not really helps. And it's not really uh, maybe sometimes to the negative side of things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we're taking good steps, but in a very careful way. But yeah.
1: well, what is your... Uh, where do you think this will lead you? Is, is the end goal to be 100% cloud and not have any data centers anymore and, and, and have the full flexibility of hyperscalers and all and all uh, other cloud providers? Or do you say, no, 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 we still need, we'll have our own data center, maybe we'll build our private cloud. And so where are you, what, what is your strategy? Is that, or or you still figuring out where we'll go?
0: Now, the strategy assumes that the majority will be finally ending up in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the journey towards and is something that we need to see how quickly that really needs to go, yeah. given the benefits realization. The other piece, of course, is there may be cases where it's absolutely necessary and super important to keep data centers there. So there's no way that we believe we are going to quit all data centers in the world. That, that's not the case. And uh, so probably we have for a longer time a hybrid scenario. I'm talking also from a resiliency point of view. We say, ah, what if, if the cloud is down? Yeah. What if, if we're hit by uh, ransomware and all of that? Where really we can utilize both technology options as something to improve a more resilient service. So I think that the discussion goes really towards that. And I wouldn't say we're not doing it at all or we go 100% into that. We are moving into that where it makes sense from
1: many dimensions. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about connectivity as well. I mean, connecting all these different data centers, the different offices around the world with exploding data volumes and so on and so on. How, how are you managing that? How do you make sure that you are uh, on par, that you have the right levels uh, of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, productivity on, in, in that world?
0: Well we operate we, we, years back we started to consolidate in particular the telecoms demand and, and gave it to um, to vendors who were very strong in that particular region. So we have European contract, we have a uh, Middle East contract, we have an Asia Pacific contract, US, etc. And try to manage it through those vendors. Um, That was a quite interesting journey because some of those vendors were at that time not really ready for that. And Mm -hmm. with us asking for that, probably they had developed a bit that capability moving forward. So that's one element of it. Um, So that gives us a bit of access to the best players in the telecoms industry. Well, on the other side, thinking about cloud journey, SaaS solution, Office 365, M365, et cetera, everything is much more hungry to be connected to the internet somehow. Yeah. That means we are now in a big swing to introduce SD-WAN and all of that to, to the top hundreds of thousands of sites in DHL globally. And that gives us more opportunities either working internally or with, with the cloud in moving forward. To your point on global scale, it's an interesting point that is not really known. Um, our technology stack is built in a way that our software really runs in all markets in the world. Meaning in areas where the infrastructure is not really developed, we also need to find a solution there. And it is the same software, it is the same thing, etc. And that's where a lot of solutions are falling through the cracks because it's been built for high-speed internet connectivity and all of that. So that's an area that we are very, very keen of and uh, because otherwise you can't operate in 220 countries.
1: So your, your, your connectivity needs to be resilient, but your applications as well because Correct. they need to function somewhere in the middle of Africa with bad connections, for instance. Correct. And still you need to be able to, uh, to do the job.
0: Same, same systems, same customer promise, same interaction well maybe different scale right because you're moving less shipments and have less customer interactions but it's still the same process yep. and that's something that we learned over the years and is probably one of our key capabilities we know how to do that mm-hmm.
1: great take let's move to the uh, to the next chapter and talk a little bit more about uh, your organization and how you lead your organization, how you manage your organization. So tell, give me a little bit more numbers. How many people are there in IT? You, talked, uh, you explained that you have a, a, a quite a centralized role, but then there's regional and country people as well. Um, so how, how, how big is it? And how would you describe your role as CIO of this, of this uh, group of people?
0: Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, so the global organization that consists of the global domains and the architects and the program managers plus the teams that are working exclusively for ITS for us is roughly 1,500 people. Oh. So these are the people really building and supporting those key applications. Then we have for sure noch a, a couple of external companies we we're working with, um, and the big names there, obviously. So we're working with, with with all of them, and either in projects or for ongoing activities as well. Yeah. So then the regions and the countries where you are more on the customer-facing and the support side and doing local activities, that's in another 1,800 people, roughly. So um, it's quite a sizable organization. And just from the description of it, being accountable for all of that, um, the leadership style needs to be very flexible and adaptive in Mm -hmm. a sense of we have a strategy, an IT strategy that involves really everyone into the organization. It's not only application-driven, but includes everyone in the organization. Very inclusive strategy. um, And everyone can take a part of that. Um, How do I lead that? A lot of... um, Interaction. I cannot be everywhere with 220 countries. A lot of video chats, um, interaction, virtual town halls, and all of that. A lot of things we do is uh, we say we want to spend 70% of our time with frontline people, meaning with our employees. It's quite a challenge, um, and um, that's what we really put ourselves up to and that drives a bit how we communicate and how we engage with people. So traveling is a lot. Uh, my core teams are in Singapore, Malaysia, Prague and Chennai. Only a very small team is SITSI in Germany. Okay. So of a quite uh, spread around organization.
1: So you're collecting many miles then? Uh...
0: Well, if I can, I try to do it with, uh, with virtual channels. can reach much more people but it is absolutely required to be on site, it is an additional uh, challenge. It takes a lot of time to get into these organizations, but I would say people appreciate the f- physical presence, and they appreciate also the openness that you're, as we as management, are approachable for questions, having a coffee chat, and all of that. That's part of the wider culture question, in my view. How approachable uh, are we? And if you ask the question, what is my role there? Mm-hmm. A big question is next to guiding, giving strategy, outlook, and direction is for sure giving feedback to actual projects, giving, asking questions on why are we doing this and not that, and helping people to provide better solutions and options. And I'm, I'm truly believing in that coaching idea. I truly believe that leadership per se, not only in IT, should strive that we uh, maximize everybody's potential in the organization. And there's no real difference in, in leadership in IT to any other function, I believe. Well, the subject is completely different, but how we motivate people to go the extra mile, how do we motivate people that they be more innovative, more agile, and all of that yep. comes through support and coaching, I believe.
1: So if we look at your agenda, at your, where you spend your time, you can spend your time with, with end clients, you can spend uh, time with your uh, C-suite colleagues, uh, with the business units, with uh, with the, the logistics uh, colleagues. You can spend time with your your direct teams and then with your employees, uh, with with uh, the 3,000 people on, uh, that are doing the development of, of the the systems and so on. Uh, so where, how would you, how do you think that split would be over the different stakeholders?
0: Well, it's it's I don't have a good. Uh, answer in like mathematic uh-huh. uh, quench, uh, uh, answers on that but I challenge myself every day to spend as much time as I can either in the office and that can't be the office here can't be it's an office somewhere else to so spend as much time as I can with people with our own people and it could be business colleagues it could be IT colleagues it could be uh, IT vendors even if they're really important to us and okay. that's how my agenda is looking like um, well can we do still more about that for sure there's always a question of prioritization that's also sure um, and well and as well spending time with customers is an equal important topic okay. and uh Yeah, so that's I really try to do that. And a lot of of my agenda is to achieve that, is to spend time actually with projects where people are looking for um, direction equally to looking for appreciation because what teams are doing is simply amazing and sometimes you're not saying that enough to them.
1: And one of my favorite questions, and I don't ask it in every interview, but you started your career... Building software and programming Commodore computers if if there would be a nerd scale and and then is You can still develop every program that's running here and zero is you have no clue what people are still doing <laughs> Where would you situate yourself today on, on how are you still in touch with the real technology?
0: Well, that's a, it's a good question and um, I think I lost my ability to program myself with the newest uh, libraries and all of that. But I try to under- try to challenge myself to understand what are really the new, the new technologies, the new methods, the new way on how to do things in a professional way. Because I believe it is very important that the top management understands the details yep. and has an attention to details and also an attention to what works very well in the organization and not, right? And then take corrective actions on that one. So it's not only having the PowerPoint thing and that level, very high level. What is an important thing in communicating well, um, directing well, giving feedback well, but having attention to details is equally important. And that's, by the way, sometimes more relevant to speak the language of of the nerds from your point, right? Because uh, some people are more introverted or more focused on the technology and to a lesser extent to things that I'm doing on a daily basis. I believe the inclusion of everything and speaking and various various people in the organization on all levels is, I think, a key capability.
1: I think, I mean, the, the, the job and the role of, of a CIO is quite fascinating. At the one end, you need to speak the technical language, understand what people are doing, and the other end, you really have to understand the business and the challenges that are there, and you need to marry these two, and you need to be a good people leader, uh, a people manager, and a good leader. I mean, it's, it's quite a challenge, so how do you think, how do you make sure that you de- keep developing yourself? Because at the same time, every two years, there's something new, and then it's cloud, and then it's mobile, and then it's Gen AI, and then it's, it's every, every year there's something new. So how do you keep up with all of that in, in, in your very busy day? Oh, well, I, I think, that
0: challenge hasn't changed over the last 25, 28 years. And I think it's something you need to love that dynamic, I believe. Uh-huh. If the view is I've learned it all and I know it all type of thing, then I probably there's a problem rising up very soon over time in all of these elements, not only the technology, also the way of what people are expecting from an employer, for example, it may change over time or how people work together and all of that and how the business is developing. I think the core is... You need to be fascinated by that this change and manage that change over time is one of your core things you need to master. Mm-hmm. And I love that, to be very honest. Right. I, that this is why I always, and in the last 20 years I've become, I've been CEO on country, regional and global level. I think to your point, it is the most attractive job in the organization. I, would... I still believe that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of your success. Of course, depends on the team around you. Uh, like every great leader, you have to have the ability to build a great team around you. Tell us a little bit, what is the secret of your success in attracting and, uh, and keeping and growing a, a, a really good team around you?
0: I'm not sure if it's really a secret, but I think I, I believe I um, focus a lot on people and have quite clear expectation what i expect from my leaders around me uh, and and work very closely with them to help them to maximize their potential as i said earlier i believe that's one of the it doesn't it's not different to anybody else and i believe that mindset helps really to build a great team And um, we appreciate the work of our teams a lot. We call that I Love IT. The I Love IT program is going for many, many years. Three weeks in September, every country in the world picks a day or two where we really put IT and the work of the IT folks, sometimes they're in the background or not really visible, into the forefront so that the management, everyone around can appreciate their work. These are the little things that make People feel very, very proud to no. contribute, feel very proud to contribute and see around that. The other piece is, I believe, we are, um, as a people organization, we source a lot of top management position internally. Mm-hmm. So we have a quite a good um, funnel from the organization, like me, a lot of years in the company. The same is in the business, and the same is likewise in IT. So people love the culture. They love to be part of that. They, they, they are really part of the product development. They really feel extremely close to the success of their product and the overall purpose of the company. So it really falls on really good ground, in
1: my view. Okay. So is, is that really what DHL stands for then? I mean, great place to work and people stay here a long time?
0: Well, I believe the focus of on people in is for sure something that uh, uh, is something that really helps in the IT function in general as well. So we were very pleased um, that in the last two years we were a great place to work number one globally. And that's something you wouldn't resonate with a logistics organization where most people are working at night sorting (laughs) shipments picking up and delivering shipments in all weather conditions, even during Corona, under very difficult conditions, and um, with a logistics network around the world. You wouldn't expect that a logistics company is number one in the world. And I believe we only achieve that because you have a rentless focus on our own people, a rentless focus on to motivate people, and nowadays even put a focus even more on safety on people, so that everyone comes home uh, in, in, a safe, in safe conditions. So mm-hmm. that is the same for IT and for the logistics process, but that mindset really is appreciative of that. And we believe, and it's core of our strategy, we believe that motivated people, and maybe safe people, motivated people only can deliver an excellent service quality. So with that in mind, it's the same in IT. Motivated people deliver great software and great solutions. And I believe this is something what we are very, very strong at.
1: Okay. Back to yourself. If I would go around in, uh, in, in your different teams and, and I would um, uh, listen to what they say about you when you're not there, what do you think your people, your colleagues say about you? <laughs>
0: That's the biggest secret you will never know, but I, I would imagine—and I'm saying it very in a humble way—they would probably say, "He's he's there if we need him." So that's number one. Uh, he's probably asking a lot of questions, but also helping people to find solutions for their challenges. And they would also say probably he's a he's a people person, having taking care about people, and. Helping people to develop their own self that could be career or something else. And I'm, I'm hoping people would say that, and I'm hopefully it's not completely off.
1: So, Dirk, let's talk a little bit more about uh, yourself. Let's deep dive a little bit in your, in your character and your personality. And you have shared with us your MBTI uh, profile, and you are a commander, also known as an ENTJ. So an ENTJ commander is somebody with extroverted, intuitive, uh, thinking and judging personality traits. The strengths of a commander are that they are efficient, energetic, self-confident, strong-willed, strategic thinkers, charismatic and inspiring. Does that (laughs) cover (laughs) cover the package here? You wow. recognize yourself in that.
0: Oh, well, I, I mean, th- this type of uh, studies, you know, there's always something that resonates a lot and other things that say, mm, really, if I look into the mirror, am I so charismatic? Yes or no, I'm not sure, right? But that's more <clears throat> the question of details. I, I would say it, the overall scoring when you do this, mm-hmm. and I think many th- people have done that, if there's something coming out, I would say the description of that is that really matching what you feel you are, mm-hmm. then I would say it's a high match. Okay. And uh, what's also interesting is it hasn't changed so much over the years. And that's, that's the other big thing with these preference type of models, that it is something that is for long, long years and not changing like...
1: Yeah. And it's not necessarily 100% scientific no, 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 so sure. on, but it's, sure. it's a, it's good a indication. self-assessment, it's a good it gives decision. some indication. Now, uh, every coin has a flip side, so let's talk also a little bit about your, let's call it weaknesses or development sides, because as a professional, as a successful uh, a CIO, you have developed yourself and you have overcome some of these uh, typical potential weaknesses of a commander which are, they can be stubborn and dominant, they can be intolerant or impatient. They can be arrogant. They sometimes have poor handling of emotions and they can be cold and ruthless. Which of these would say, well, maybe I was that in the past a little bit and how have you overcome that? Well, it's, it's, it's great that you call them development
0: areas and uh, because some of them I would see in, me being in very early in my career where I haven't really realized that these are really the, the areas of improvement, right? Mm-hmm. So being being uh, intolerant of, of timing, for example, being intolerant of other options, etc., cetera, is something where I would say I'm much more empathic right now and can accept multiple opinions if they're all valid and presented in a good way. But that's something... I needed maybe to learn more than others because uh, it's not a given thing. So I like how you phrase it, that these are development areas yeah. and we can strive on others as well. But it, it, it's a good way. And I believe through the career, those things are becoming more visible and you get more input on what really works very well for you and the team and what does not.
1: Right? Yeah. Who are the people that you learned from? Did you have important mentors or uh, people that you look up to in your professional life? And can you maybe mention one or two of them and what you learned from them?
0: So my my mom was interestingly um, one of my mentors before I started to work. And she always had the saying, it is nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And that's something that, you know, you think, you know, how does it fit into a business context and all of that? But a lot of things related to weaknesses that we just before is related to the second part of that and how we deal actually with other people and, 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 and create a work environment where yeah. everybody can strive. It's not only a few people, but everyone So this was one important thing that I remembered, but I never had really a mentor there. What I'd like to introduce a picture is that through my career, from very early to now, I was surrounded with people where I could always learn something from. Either they had a very special capability that I didn't have, and I learned how to do that, very simple in the beginning, but then upwards to how are other people managing their teams, how are other people's motivating their teams, and so on and so forth. So there was no formal mentorship, but I believe I, I'm very interested, and am still very interested, what are other people doing in specific situations, and is that not something I could adapt and adjust for myself? And so I'm still on that path. So I wouldn't say I had one mentor, but I had thousands, I would say in that context.
1: Let's um, dive uh, one level deeper and let's talk a little bit about your, little bit about your core values, uh, Dirk. You shared with me that you have, uh, you started with kids very early on in your life. You have three daughters, all from the same wife you shared with me. And so what, is, what are the, the core values that you have passed on to your daughters so that you would love them to grow up with? Um, Yeah, when
0: I think about it, is it really the values to the kids? Are they different to business values and all of that? Probably not. (laughs) Maybe not. So values in a sense of, um, um, for me, values in a sense, I would describe three of them. The one is I uh, love or would like to see myself but everybody else to work and act with integrity. And what I mean with that is to do exactly the same right thing, even if no one is watching you, right? That is, for me, a good example to act with integrity. The other big thing, and there's more in a business context, is to be accountable for what you're doing. It's in a private life as well. The, the two oldest ones have studied already, etc. They're accountable for their lives. They're accountable for their education accountable to do the best out of their life and and doing the right things in that sense. It's the same in the business context. If you're given a project, you're accountable for that and you need to do all the right things to be successful. And the last one, clearly in the business context, is I'm absolutely convinced that teamwork and working together as one, as we call it in DHL, is a key enabler to achieve much, much more things if someone is playing it on, on their own. And in IT, it's clear, we have always projects working together, but I think that's something that can't be underestimated how relevant that is. So these are the three things I mentioned in the context of values. They're not 100% values all the time, but very relevant to me.
1: think you're clearly very driven and passionate about the job that you do. Uh, you're clear, clearly working very hard covering the world, traveling a lot, and so on. How do you relax? How, uh, what is it that drives you outside of work?
0: Well, the time is not really... It's not a lot of time outside uh, work, also with the traveling and all of that. Um, I try to spend a lot of time with, with the family. So having the kids around, seeing my parents, seeing the family and all of that, seeing friends... And even if it's just for a short time, it gives me a lot of um, energy, right? The other piece is what I also do during the traveling and also during the week is to recharge in doing sport exercises, right? And I'm not a great athlete, but it is something where I can switch off extremely efficiently and where I also do something good for the body. So that is really, if you want to say these are the main two things I'm consistently doing over many many years
1: family and exercise
0: very simple
1: and you have a dog you told me
0: oh yeah 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 it, it's it's uh, i think it's it's maybe it's sitting between the two because a dog is maybe a family maybe the closest family member <laughs> from an animal point of view so yeah we if i'm around um, going in the morning with the dog around and coming going then to work is a great relaxation i have to say and the same is, you know, so you do a bit of walking. So it falls in the two same categories and it's, it's a fantastic family member. Yeah.
1: Let's return a little bit back to your professional life. I mean, you made quite a career in the, what was it, 26 years that you're here? Um, but we all make our mistakes, right? We all have our smaller and bigger uh, failures and we need to learn from them. Would you be so good and maybe share what was one of your most brilliant failures? And what you learn from it
0: yeah that's that's a great it 's a great question, and interesting if you listen to my answer, the answer is qu- quite close to your question because the biggest failure I made in the ben- beginning of my career to not see failure as an opportunity to learn i I was more maybe it 's driven through education or i don 't know what or maybe through the uni system if you don't achieve a score, you fail, right? It's very simple, right? That's how it works. But in real business life is projects, and in particular, and in technology, is there is no, if you, if you strive for perfection, it's very, very difficult and it's very costly. And we all know you never can test any code for perfection, it's impossible. So we need to unlearn that there are, Figure failures happening. There are failures in the support. There are failures in the run. There are failures in the build. There are failures in budgeting. All of these type of stuff. But the point is, step back, correct it, learn from it, and never do it again. And that simple logic is something I did not do well when I started my career, and I, that was my biggest, f- biggest great failure that I hope I've corrected over time.
1: Okay, and maybe professional wise or personal wise, what would be like the best thing that has ever happened to you? And
0: Ah, you know, you see it in my career and I'm quite consistent. I, the best thing privately is I met my wife and I have these wonderful children and uh, still a great marriage. Um, We spent great time together. And the other one is I joined DHL. 26 years ago and uh, it's surrounded by great colleagues they give me great opportunities for me personal to grow Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't start as the global CIO I started as a project manager so I worked worked up my ladder so every manager over time I worked with and the stakeholders there had the trust to give me a bit more at times and that's I'm very very grateful for and also indicates that that company you can grow from the first entry position to become the global CIO and when we have new people joining us and we have then town halls and all of that just to greet the new people, I'm explaining exactly that story. I can The new joiner with 30 30 years or 29, I can say if you stick to DHL and you find your way through the organization you can mm-hmm. be in my position in 25 years and there should be nothing really that should stop that mindset and actually my board colleagues are the same the ceo of dhl express john pearson started as a sales representative and is now the ceo of the company for many many years and and so on and so forth you have hundreds of these examples either in the top or underneath and it makes people, through the belonging and through other opportunities to give, you can have a great career. It's a long answer to your question, but I um, think it's quite relevant yeah. here.
1: You learned from your mother that it's nice to be important, but even more important to be nice. Do you have other another mantra that you live by, a saying that helps yeah. you if you, for instance, need to make a difficult decision?
0: Uh, I would say, in generally, um, maybe two... Um, I would say in IT, the sky's the limit. The opportunities are endless. If you really plan them extremely well, you can do a lot to improve value, efficiencies, new capabilities, innovation, all of that. The sky's the limit. And the other one is maybe as a professional mantra is also stay calm and carry on. I believe it's very important in crisis situation, and we've all seen them, be it a cyber attack, be it a big project failure, be it a, a big system down, or what have you, to stay calm and make the right decisions uh, in that moment. And I think that's quite relevant, not only for the top positions, but for many people helping to find
1: solutions in critical situations. Okay, super. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Alice is her name, right? Alice so. Um, DHL, logistics, 25% of the world, uh, CO2, uh, 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 what's the, emissions come from logistic companies. So there's a lot of work to be done in this industry. Uh, So electric planes, electric vehicles and so on, sustainability is a big topic. Tell me a little bit about this uh, Alice plane. um.
0: Well, this is part of, Alice is the first electric um, airplane in the world and it is, Uh, now being in development. It's not exclusively for us, but we take the first cargo bit for us and it is a great step in the right directions. The Virgin flight was a year back and probably in 2027 the first planes will fly. Um, They will never replace a big 747 or a 777 or something like that, but it is something where we're really tapping into the innovative piece of it if you really want to make the difference in that ESG agenda. Um, So we're also very interested, invested into sustainable air fuel to support the current air fleet. Um, With that, also something that is not really widely deployed and is something that grows over time with demand like customers like DHL. Um, roofing with solar panels, electric feet. I think the list is endless. And we are very, very committed as DHL group to meet our targets. But it's also interesting that also IT space plays an important role in helping, for example, our people... To use um, more efficient routes, and it's not only fuel saving you have, you have also CO2 emission savings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the mindset is there, the commitment is there. And we have a huge portfolio of programs, and this is one of them where we are driving it forward.
1: And I can imagine the better your IT systems are, the more efficient that they are, the better they are for the sustainability of the business processes as well. Eh? So, uh...
0: Absolutely. The better decision-making, better real-time support and all of that will help a lot. It is also clear that the more you digitize and the more data you use, you have you increase your own Functional footprint on CO2, right? That's a big topic that may come up on all the big language learning models and all of that. Because the way how they learn is very, very processor intense. So, yes, so it's it's becoming as well a challenge for us as well. Even our comparable footprint is small compared to the logistics footprint.
1: Uh, I mean we had a very interesting discussion with your colleague Marcus Voss from, from supply chain. Uh, who is uh, also about sustainability. We learned from, from him that that is really on top of the agenda of DHL Group in general, I would say. I'm so, great. Dirk, thank you so much for uh, for your time. I have one last question uh, for you. And this, uh, our videos are watched by digital leaders around the globe, but also uh, by young, ambitious uh, IT talent and, and uh, ambitious professionals I want to follow in your footsteps and I want to become a global CIO of a logistics company. What is the advice that you would give to these young professionals?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And my answer would be, you need to start, um, develop a passion for people very, very early. Particularly in the IT space, um, if you're in love with technology, there's nothing bad with that. But if you want to become a leader in information technology, you need to start and to create a passion for people in a sense of that you want to help people to maximize their potential in the organization. And this is something to do with technology but it has much more to do with leadership. So if you're more a person who has maybe difficulties to interact with people, Reach out to people, being open for conversations, all of that. That is something that you may wish to learn very early in your career because these are the things that are quite relevant in a later stage, not only as a CIO, as a department head, a team lead, <coughs> and all of that.
1: This requires yeah. immense people skills. And on that note, Dirk, thank you so much. Thank you. It is my pleasure to also present you our CIONet cookbook. full of recipes for digital success. Thank you for hospitality, it was a pleasure.
0: Thank you very, very much. Thank you.